Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today here at First Christian Church. Welcome. I'm very glad you're with us. Uh, welcome to everybody in the East Auditorium as well. I was just in there uh, 30 seconds ago, it seemed. And uh, then to those who are in Lovington, we're very glad you're worshiping with us as well. And anybody that's watching on, and participating online, and we're glad that we're in worship together. I'd invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Hebrews. It's uh, quite a ways through the Bible. Hebrews is a long ways through, if you will. Grab it on your smartphone. If you're online with us, there's a tab on your screen that will point you to Hebrews chapter 1 in just a few moments. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team. And again, welcome to each of you here today, and uh, very glad you're with us. Uh, while you're looking for Hebrews chapter 1, uh, we're going to read uh, in just a few minutes the first four verses of chapter 1. I want you to take a look at this photo that's going to appear on the screens. You see, um, what you see there is a baby uh, in a sort of a cushion of some sort of floral print chair, perhaps. It's obviously, if you look at that, it's obviously an old photo, um, probably taken in the early days of photography, mid-19th century or so. You know, photography back then, not that it's an easy process or easy um, endeavor to be in the photography business today, but back then, it was more, taking photos was more troubling than today because the subject had to sit still for, um, you know, numbers of seconds. These days, we can take a photo if there's enough light in a thousandth of a second and, you know, it won't be blurry or some, a car can go flying by at 100 miles an hour, if you will, and we can get a photo of it because it's that fast. But in, in the olden days, when I was born. No, <laughs> until modern photography came along, the subject would have to sit very still so that the shutter could open and close, and if you moved, it would be blurry. So you, the question remains, how do you get a photograph of a little baby like that in that age, in that time? It appears that the baby's lying on some sort of floral print of a cushion, right? How would you get a baby to be still in that moment? You would ask the mother to hold the baby. Here's another photo. Of, here's the full photo of the baby leaning up against mommy, but you don't see mommy because she's all bundled up, but you see the, the baby. And uh, you see her outline now that I pointed it out, but probably if I had not told you, you wouldn't realize that there was a woman underneath all that stuff, disguised, but still holding the baby. Thus, the baby is more apt to be quiet. It's a great metaphor, if you will, for those of us who follow Jesus Christ. You're like me. In the midst of some settings, in the midst of some situations, it's hard to sit still, isn't it? It's hard to settle into our lives, to settle into the direction that things are moving along, or to settle into decisions that we've made or relationships. And we, we get antsy and we wiggle and we want, well, is this really what I want to do? And we've, God, is this really what you have in mind? And it's just, ugh, we wiggle. But I've got some good news for you, friends. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even when you don't see him or others don't see him, the followers of Christ are supported by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our ultimate comfort, our ultimate support, even in death, if you will, our ultimate resting place. In the midst of the decisions, in the midst of the aftershocks of decisions we've made. You know what? We can rest there and be certain that Jesus Christ is holding us. We're going to look at that today and throughout the coming summer. Today, we're starting on a long project, if you will, that's going to take us chapter by chapter through the book of Hebrews. Pastor Brian and I are going to um, 
see if we can't, it's a, very, it's a pretty complex book. It's not, this is not, you know, easy summer preaching. Let me tell you that. This is not backing off for the summer. We're going to dig in chapter by chapter and between now and uh, before, by the time we get to August. And Pastor Jonathan has come alongside us and he has study material lined up for you um, that follow our weekend messages. So like today, um, uh, this afternoon at about 4.30 or so, there's going to be a text that goes out to everybody. If you're part of our texting service, you might take a look at how you can become part of that. If you're not, just type the word, one word, first, Decatur, F-I-R-S-T, Decatur, to 24587. And if you get on our list, we have more than 1,000 people in that now, um, you'll get a study guide this afternoon. If you're not into uh, technology, at the welcome desks, there are um, paper guides, the paper copies of what's going to come out. And you'll ta- it'll take you about 30 minutes this week to work through some of the things that Pastor Jonathan has put together. So to um, set the stage for, if you will, uh, this is not a sprint. This is going to be a marathon, okay? Uh, we've got a sprint planned for the, for the fall, but this is, a, this is a long haul today. And we're going to... Um, well, let's take a look, the look at the opening paragraph of the book, and that'll set the stage of what's in front of us for the next seven or eight weeks, okay? Hebrews says this, that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. In the past, um, for us to hear from God, a prophet had to come forward. And so that's how we learned it in the past. But in these last days, since the days of Jesus... God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son, he did, the writer describes who Jesus is. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And as a result of all of that, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So, setting the stage, what's going on here? The writer whose identity is not known says, our world is different than it used to be. In the past, we had to rely on prophets, and they, those prophets, they brought us a message from God. But now Jesus has come from heaven, and it's not that he's just brought a message. He is the message. And throughout the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that Jesus' life and death brought, if you will, you could say an earthquake to those steeped in what we, would, what we would call as Christians the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament, then it was just the Scriptures. But to those who were, were, were versed in the Old Scriptures, in the Old Testament, if you will, Jesus' life and mission was, was radical. This, what Hebrews is going to show us is that the story and the message of Christianity is absolutely novel. Now, I will tell you that we... In our day, and particularly if you're a follower of Jesus and have been for some time or just starting, maybe you haven't started yet, but you're thinking about it. For us, we don't understand the mind shift faced by the early followers of Jesus Christ, the people of the ancient world. Because regardless of how long you've walked with Christ, whether it's been a long time or you're just sort of on the outside stepping in maybe, we all sort of understand somehow or other that Jesus... Well, Christians say Jesus came from God and the, it's, it's just it's who he was. And, you know, our understanding might be a little bit wonky. Our theology may not be fully formed or sound. But we say there's something about Jesus being from God. We at least know that. Well, that's so different. So different to the audience of this letter. 
Hebrews is declaring that while angels in the past may have brought messengers, that they may have brought messengers in that they were the messengers, Hebrews is saying that Jesus is the message. And that's so different for the audience of this letter. So, um, in preparation for this series and for where we are today, uh, Brian and I got together with a fellow from our congregation who's fairly well versed in these understandings of how this, this new religion called Christianity was such a, a mind shift and a world changer for uh, the people of the ancient world. We got together with Dave Campbell and um, as we were talking about, okay, Dave, what, what information can you give us out of your studies? I'm listening to him thinking, you know what? It, forgetting me trying to be the middleman, why don't we bring Dave and let Dave tell you what he knows. So would you welcome Dave Campbell to the stage today? Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for sharing your photo with us. You're a cute baby. Oh, that's it, yeah. I'm old. I just had my birthday, but I'm not that old, okay? So um, I'm going to think of a way to get... I'm going to find a photo between yeah. now and the next Let's service. You watch. Of you. Stephanie will... Stephanie Steph can help me. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, it won't um, be that old, though. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's start with this. About um, where it appears the book was written. Because the book concludes with two verses that I think give us a hint as to what's going on. It says in the very last chapter, Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings and may your... May, um, May, may grace be with you all. If you guys could go to the next slide for that, okay? Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send their greetings. Grace be with you all. So we have some clue as to where it may come from, but let's go from there. Uh, yeah, Hebrews is a unique book in that we don't really have um, a solid understanding of who the author was, and um, all the information we get kind of comes from little tidbits inside the book of Hebrews. And so there's some, some people that believe that maybe the letter was written from Rome, which was a pretty significant point in that day of the Christian church growing. And since he says, we, those from Italy greet you, but there are some people that debate that. Uh, what the, the scholars really don't debate is when the time frame at which it was written. When would that be? Uh, between the years 66 and 70. So a four-year period, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. So this is some 30 years, 35 years, maybe 40 years after Jesus' death. That's right. So at this point then, um, the church is beginning to be known, and they're facing what's going on at that point. It, 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 this is 35 years after Jesus died yeah, and rose a, again. It's a pretty significant time period in church history because... Um, in, in just the few years before and the years after this, the, the letter was written, there's a lot of persecution that's taking place. Um, James, the brother of Jesus, was beaten. This and, is the guy who actually grew up in the household with Jesus. Yeah, and he... And, so he'd be around Jesus' age. Yeah, so, and in the book of Acts, he's like the... He takes over. He's like the head of the church. Like, so if he was born, say, five years or so within Jesus' birth, at this point, he's... He's pretty old. He's pretty old, yeah. yeah. He's, he's getting... Careful, careful. <laughs> careful, okay. And All then right. you got Mark, who's the younger guy, like, like and what me. happens to Mark? Mark is a... Uh, Mark, Mark is way younger than you. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Mark was, was a teenager when Jesus was alive. He was, yeah, but... So now he's like 40, 45. 44, that's how old I am. <laughs> Much younger than James. <laughs> <laughs> He was, uh, he was actually dragged to death by the Jewish people in Alexandria. 
during this, just like in 63. And so, um, and also Matthias, who was the uh, replacement to Judas, mm-hmm. he was uh, beheaded in Jerusalem by the Jewish people. So there's, the Jewish people are at this time really getting bold and persecuting the believers in Jesus. And where is Paul, the apostle Paul? Paul is, um, well, he, it's actually one of the clues in when we, which we know it was written because we know that Hebrews was written after the death of Paul because of some of the comments on Timothy. And so Paul has been also, he's been killed in 65, 66-ish by um, Nero. So you've got, you've got persecution coming from the Romans if you're a Christian and from Mm -hmm. the Jews. Is Mm -hmm. that right? That's right. Yeah. And Nero had just come to power in 64. And at this time, in this time frame, he's really um, taking it to the Christians, like the Colosseum, the burning at the stakes, the lions and all that is, is right. This is the time period of this. So these Hebrews are fearing for their lives from from Yes, from both sides. And on, on top of that, the Romans have really taken offense at the Jewish uprising in Jerusalem. And so they've, um, they've started the, the Jewish Roman war begins in 66 and it goes up till 70. What so. happened there? So what, what happened in Jerusalem? Uh, so the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, there was an uprising of the Jewish people and they actually defeated the Roman garrison. Uh, that was holding control of power over Jerusalem and they kind of defeated them and kicked them out. And so they go home back to Rome and, uh, the, and Nero and the, and the leaders there are not happy about that. So they, <laughs> they send lots, everybody basically. And in that time, like in the year 66, uh, 50,000 Jews were killed in Al- Alexandria and over 60,000 in the rest of the region. And so Jerusalem is, there's a siege around great, Jerusalem? Yes. And so it's in great turmoil. And, and actually in the time period after, the, uh, after they, the Jewish people won, now there's like, so the Romans have been kicked out. So there's an evacuation of the authority that had been there. So all these cells of like the zealots are fighting, the, the Sadducees, they're all fighting for control of the Temple Mount. The high priest is murdered and there's like great, uh, chaos happening in Jerusalem. And then in 70, the uh, Romans come, lay siege to Jerusalem and completely destroy the temple. So when you, if you've ever been to Israel or to Jerusalem, or you've seen photos of the Western Wall, it's flat on top for the most part, apart from the, now there's a mosque there. And that flat area is where Nero comes in and lays, just does the number, the temple's gone. Yeah. Yeah, what we have left is just the, the wall, the foundation where they built, it was all on top and it's all gone. So if you're a Christian, you're getting it from the Jews, mm-hmm. though that you're Jewish yourself. Yes, which is interesting because they're Jewish Christians. The book is written to the Jewish Christians, which seems odd to us that you could be Jewish and a Christian. But at that time, they were really, I mean, the Jewish people were still Jewish, they just believed that Jesus was the Messiah as opposed to the people who were Jewish that didn't believe he was the Messiah. So if you're a follower of Jesus at this point, you're getting it from the Romans, afraid of being burned at the stake or fed to the lions, and you might be getting it also from fellow Jews who aren't Christians. That's correct, yeah. So, and then, why, why, why is all that important? So, it's, um, it's, all through Acts, we can see that the Jewish believers in Acts Jesus, being another book of the Bible. The book of the Bible, Acts. Right. That's correct. Um, they're, they're, the Jewish believers are going to the temple. They're still going and praying. We're, Paul is going and talking to people in the synagogues. Um, so they're still worshiping there. They're going and doing offerings. There's major holidays that they go up. And, and so 
it would it would kind of be like if you guys on your way here today had the possibility of being killed for coming here. These are the people that are receiving this letter that the the writer's writing is basically saying, you know, I I know that it's gonna could cost you your life to go to the temple. It could cost you your life to go try to offer the offering with the chaos in Jerusalem and even to stay home. So it's, and and then on top of that, eventually their church, their their yeah, temple disappears. It does eventually disappear. Yeah. So there's nowhere to go. That's right. That's right. And so I think like the book of Hebrews is really addressing like we we read it and there's a whole it's really hard and there's a lot of theology in there. But I think kind of what the writer is trying to say is like, these are the reasons why. This is the significance of what you believe. And this is why it's worth sacrificing your life if it comes to that. In fact, one of, my, one of the favorite verses, I just read this one we were here this morning was in chapter two, it says, he, ne- he left nothing outside his control. It's so like. Everything, God's in control. Hang I, in there. Yeah. So when, 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 every, when life is going, do you know where? In a, in a, in a handbasket. Hello? Right? Hang on. Hang on. It's all going to be well. And, and even to the point of, even if you, you, you might be killed, yeah. you might be killed, but that's okay. Really, they do say <laughs> it's okay. Like, for example, in uh, chapter two, it says, Jesus shared in our humanity. You're going to see this on the screen. Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So in other words, if, you're, if, if there's a point in our lives where we're afraid to die, Hebrews is saying, it's okay. God's got this through Jesus Christ. For surely it's not angels he helps, but people who walk after Abraham. Mm-hmm. All right, and we're grafted into that. That's from an, another portion of scripture. That is, so it's, it's really essential for those of us. I, frankly, in our day and time, in the places around the world where Christians are persecuted and are being killed, or even in our own culture, in our own nation, where we see, um, where we see Christian voices being silenced or being mocked, Hebrews speaks to all of that. Yeah. Right? That's right. All right, That's we'll right. take it from there. Dave, see, thanks thank so much. Thank you. Can you thank him? Because what the writer is saying is all this help it comes from Jesus. And that Jesus is, when you're looking for a leader, Hebrews is going to say, um, when you're looking for a leader, Jesus is going to be a better leader. When you're looking for a better forgiver, Jesus is going to be a better forgiver. When you're looking for someone to speak for God, Jesus is better because he speaks as God. And so Hebrews is wanting the Christ followers to recognize Jesus' supremacy over all things, including adversity including even, if you will, some mighty, powerful, warring angels. Jesus is better than all of that. And so throughout the book, you're going to hear that, you know, that Jesus is better. That's the title of this series. Over and over again, Jesus is better. If you've got this situation, Jesus is better. Jesus is better here. Jesus is better. And so in light of all of that, when we say that Jesus came as God's message, not just a messenger from heaven, what could we learn? We would say he's better than angels. He's not some sort of higher angel. He is, in fact, the Son of God above the angels in heaven. He is far better than someone bringing a message. He is the message. So that's not to discount angels. 
I mean, you've got it right here in verse 4, where he says he became superior to the angels, even as his name that he inherited isn't superior to the angels. So it's, it's not denying the existence of angels. And it's not, by, let me just correct something, if I may. There is nothing in Scripture that says when humans die, they become angels. None of that either, okay? This is by all means saying that Jesus comes as the message of God and alongside of that, there are these, thing, these creatures called angels, but they're not superior to Jesus. Jesus is more important than them. Now, there are, we know a few things about angels from the scriptures. We have stories about them from the Bible and they, we know they have specific responsibilities depending on, if you will, what sort of angelic group they belong to, for example. We know there are angels that bring messages from God. There's a whole troop of them is one way you can put it. Like, for example, the angel Gabriel visits Jesus' foster parents. He says to Mary, you're going to have a baby. He says to Joseph, I want you to take care of this baby. Take care of the Christ child. So there are angels who bring messages like that. There are warring angels. The scriptures say that there are angels who fight in the heavens. They fight on God's behalf against the forces of, of hell and the demons of hell. And there are apparently, in chapter 1, according to Hebrews, there are even angels that are working on your behalf and my behalf. Hebrews says, or asks a rhetorical question, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Now, I don't know how that works. I don't know how... Is the angel taking control of the steering wheel and the accident? I, I don't know. I, I have no idea, okay? Well, some might say, well, isn't that what Jesus does? Yes. Doesn't he minister? Of course he does. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we receive God's ministry. But perhaps that ministry comes to us through the hands of angels. I don't know. I'd say, if God wants to help me, bring it on. Are you with me there? I do know this, though. Jesus does more than care for us like angels might. Jesus actually saves us. See, friends, no angel ever became a human, but Jesus did. Jesus, fully God, became human. Catch me in this. Jesus, fully God, became human so that humans would know that God knows, that we would know that God knows of the plight of human life. Or as Max Lucado has put it this way, Jesus came not as a flash, like a, a flash of light, like some angel appearing and everybody drops to the ground, nor did he come as an unapproachable conqueror, but he came as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured. They were calloused. They were rough. They were dirty. There was no silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Think of it this way, friends. This, is kind of, this, this will blow your mind a little bit. God watched. The angels watched. Heaven watched as Mary changed God's diaper. All of the cosmos watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. It was for 33 years, we could say this, for 33 years, Jesus would feel everything that you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds and he got nose sniffles. He got burped. He had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired and his head ached. And when we say, well, I don't want to think of Jesus like that, it almost seems to be irreverent, doesn't it? 
It's not like something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. I mean, it, we would like to take the humanity out of the incarnation. He's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping Jesus divine that keeps him distant and packaged and, if you will, predictable. But don't do that, friends. For heaven's sake, don't do that. Jesus came fully as a human. He knows exactly the situations and the settings that you face. Let him be as human as he intended to be. You know why? Because he's better than angels. Because if we let him into be, if we realize he came to be human and is human, then he can get down into the muck and mire of our world. And if we let the human Jesus down into the muck and mire of our world, then the God Jesus can pull us out. See, remember this. Jesus, this humble Savior, was fully human, but he was also and is fully God. That's why he's better than the angels. That's why he's better than some wise teacher as some people. Well, he was a good rabbi. No, he's more than that. He's fully God. Some would say, well, he was just some sort of misguided revolutionary. No, he wasn't a revolutionary. He was fully human and fully God. When we say he's fully God, I want you to know, friends, he is the king of kings. The king of kings. And here's what, when we say that, here's the ancient imagery that comes into play with that. In the ancient world, when, when two kings went to war, one would win and one would lose. And if the losing king survived, there was an expectation that, of what that losing king would do. He would come into the presence of the conquering king. He would lay down on the ground on his back, and the conquering king would put his foot on top of the defeated king's throat. And he could squish down or he could pull up. But the, the foot on that throat indicated that I've won, I've won the battle. You are now subject to me. So when we say Jesus is the king of kings, that means everything in the created order is subject to Jesus Christ. It's even why in the book of Hebrews, God says this of Jesus. Regarding Jesus' mission and his victory over Satan and death, he says, sit at my right hand, Jesus. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What are the enemies? The ultimate enemies are sin and death. And Jesus Christ has come and won that battle. Jesus, fully God, fully better than the angels. He came. He came to destroy sin. He came to destroy sin's ultimate weapon, death. Now, are we going to die? Yes, we're all going to, you know, should Jesus tarry, we'll all end up in the ground somehow or other. But you know what? There's coming on the other side of that. Death is defeated through the resurrection. The enemies of our lives, the enemies of this cosmos, sin and death, are defeated by Jesus' mission, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And as Tim Callis has declared, Jesus Christ, God and man, is a fully wonderful, glorious person. To his people, he is altogether lovely. You know why? He is our advocate. He stands before God, advocating on our behalf. You got some mess up in your life of the past? Do you know if you follow Jesus Christ, and, you, and if there was ever a moment when God would say, look at that, Jesus Christ stands in front of that and say, no, I'm advocating on behalf of this person that this person is covered by, the, by my death on the cross. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, from the beginning of the alphabet to the end of the alphabet. He is our beloved, the shepherd and bishop of souls. 
the bread of life, the bridegroom, the bright and morning star, the brightness of the Father's glory. Jesus Christ is our creator, our captain, counselor, covenant, cornerstone, and chiefest among 10,000. He is as the dew, a deliverer and a desire of all nations. In our eyes and in the eyes of the cosmos, he is the elect Emmanuel, and he is eternal life. He is a fountain, a fountain of living waters to thirsty souls, of joy to troubled ones, and of life to dying ones. He is the foundation upon which his people, with safety, we build our hopes of heaven, friends. He is the father of eternity, the first and the last, the firstborn among many, and the first begotten from the dead. And to his chosen, he is a guide, a governor, a glorious Lord, God, the true God of all, God blessed forever. He is the head of the church. The help, the hope, the husband, the heritage, the habitation of his people. He is the horn of their salvation and rides upon the heavens. He is the inheritance and the Jehovah of armies. He is judge and king of his people. He is our light, our life. He is our leader, their law, our lawgiver, our atoning lamb, the lily of the valley. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the man Christ Jesus, the master, the mediator, the minister of the true sanctuary. He is the mighty God of Isaiah. And he is the Messiah of all the prophets. He is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the peace, he is the peace, the prince, the prophet, the purified, the physician, the power of God. He's the rock, the refuge, the ruler, the refiner, the redeemer, the righteousness, and the resurrection of all humble souls. Jesus is the rose of Sharon. He's the seed of Abraham, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the strength, the shield, the shepherd, the sacrifice, the sanctuary, the salvation, the sanctification, and the son of righteousness of all believers. He is the truth. The teacher, the temple, the tree of life. Jesus is the way, the well of salvation, the word of God, the wisdom of God, the faithful witness, the wonderful. And friends, this Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. He is both human and divine, finite and infinite, created and uncreated. He was before Abraham, before the world, and yet he was born long after Abraham lived. He was dead but he is alive forevermore. Jesus has the arm of God, the heart of a brother. No one loves like him. No one pities like him. And no one saves like him. Is it any wonder then? Is it any wonder that children then love him? That saints praise him? The martyrs die for him. The mourning long for him. The humble trust in him. The penitent pour out their tears before him. And the believing lay hold of him. And his frown shakes the heavens. His smile gives life. His presence converts dungeons into palaces. His blood cleanses from all sin. His righteousness is the white robe of the redeemed. And if you would be safe, friends, if you would be wise or holy, if you'd be happy or useful or strong or victorious or saved, look to Jesus Christ. Look to no one else. Walk in him, abide in him, glory in him, and count as loss all things besides him. Look to the wonderful Jesus Christ. And why do I say all of that? Well, because he's far better than the angels. And this Jesus, according to Hebrews, the book we're looking at, according to, G to Hebrews, this Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.